You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Become a subscriber and support Radical Radio. Call 03-9419-8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week. Yes, I am laughing. Broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. The program is coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Now, I've got a little joke. Yes, most likely it'll be in bad taste as most jokes are. You realise all the listeners to the Anarchist World this week are the progeny, that's right, the progeny of Eve's ovaries and Satan's spawn, Lucifer's spawn. You know why? Why was Lucifer cast into hell for questioning God? Why was Eve punished for not obeying God? Think about it. They were natural anti-authoritarians and obviously listeners to the anarchist world this week have got some of that DNA in their system. But on a more serious note, what's anarchos? Anarchy, anarchos, means without rulers. It's about creating a, it's a struggle to create a society without rulers. Not without rules, but without rulers. What gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of millions of people, hundreds of millions of people, billions of people, inequalities in power and wealth? So the anarchist struggles, the struggle to share, devolve power, and the struggle to hold wealth in common and use it for the common good. Exceptionally conservative concepts. Obviously the mechanism by which we introduce an anarchist society has got radical overtones, but the actual theoretical basis, the ideological basis, whatever you like to call it, is very simple. It's about sharing power and wealth in a society which is dominated by inequalities in power and wealth. And through history, we've seen short periods where that dominant ideology based on inequalities in power and wealth has been shaken and pushed aside and a new world has blossomed. Well... Talking about New World Blossoming, doing a bribery. Quite an interesting term. And those of you who may not be aware of what doing a bribery is, is that uh, in 2002, Mr. Stephen 
Bradbury was one of the five finalists in the ice skating competition at the Winter Olympics. Right? He wasn't expected to win. But the four skaters in front of him fell over and he won a gold medal. So against all odds, Mr Bradbury won a gold medal. First ever for the Winter Olympics for an Australian uh, participant. It's the same with public housing. Public housing is doing a Bradbury. It's very simple why it's doing a Bradbury. All those public housing advocates who've been struggling uh, against the tide as far as the privatisation of public housing is concerned in this country are beginning to see things turning round. Now is not a time to lose heart, to think the struggle is finished. Because the fact is, every alternative which has been thrown up to address the current housing affordability crisis has fallen far short of the mark. Governments encouraging and using taxpayers' money to get the private sector to invest in housing has been a dismal failure. And nothing highlights this than the increase in rents and mortgage repayments that people are now paying, minimum of 25 to 30% of income, which is quite an extraordinary amount. What we are seeing is the chickens coming home to roost. hate to use one of those boring analogies. But over the last 40 years during the deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation revolution which has swept this country, we have seen competition between the public and private sector disappear. Now obviously most people are confused. There's a lot of terms that have been used in this debate to muddy the waters. We've seen state governments refuse to do repairs on public housing, let them run down, and then say, tut, tut, look at how those horrible people have let it run down. So we need to um, clean them out and uh, privatise the area, tut, tut. And we've seen terms like community housing, social housing, affordable housing, Califumpian housing, I assume that's the next one, you know, being used to describe governments at the state and federal levels uh, concerns regarding the housing affordability crisis. None of them have worked and none will work. Although we have seen empires grow, as we saw with the Salvation Army and uh, and uh, unemployment, uh, uh, what's the word, unemployment uh, programs, which were set up courtesy of the Australian taxpayer, $8 billion, I think, at the last uh, thing. But the thing is, this privatisation, whether it's for not-for-profit not groups or is a disaster. Now, there is a very, 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 very simple way to determine whether a program that's been floated or pushed by government or the private sector 
has anything to do with public housing. And there are two fundamental pillars to public housing. One is security of tenure. As long as you pay your rent and don't trash the place, you have security of tenure for life. Security of tenure is fundamental to public housing. Most of this so-called community social affordable housing, there is no security of tenure. It's about leasing for a year or two or three. There is no real security of tenure. And the second thing you need to remember, the second pillar regarding public housing is percentage of income. Rent is determined on percentage of income. So if you're relying on unemployment benefits or relying on a disability support pension or you're relying on an old age pension, you are not paying commercial rates. You are paying, if you're in public housing, you are paying 25% of your income towards keeping in a payment to keep your roof over your head. And obviously we've discussed this ad nauseum over the past. So these are two fundamental principles you need to look at when people talk about community, social, affordable, Califumpian, or whatever they like to call it, housing. Because the fact is, in a mixed economy, not a privatised economy, in a mixed economy, you need competition. There is no competition in a totally privatised housing market as we've seen with the dramatic increase in rents. As interest rates go up, investors who through government policy have invested in housing see their repayments go up, therefore they pass those repayments directly to the tenant. They're not willing to take a loss because they're highly geared and because they're geared to such an extent as to make a loss on paper so they get a tax deduction for owning a home and relying on the capital gains on that home to make their ultimate profit. So there is no competition in a privatised marketplace in a mixed economy and that's why we are seeing an increase in rents. At the same time, we are seeing an extraordinary increase in housing prices, an extraordinary increase in the amount of people are borrowing to put their foot in the housing market because housing in this country is an investment. It is not, it is not, it's not about having a roof over your head. It's about an investment. And obviously, when we talk about investments, as far as residential property is concerned, there are some winners, the 8% that have enough disposable income, and everybody else follows as housing prices are artificially elevated. So public housing, two fundamental foundation stones. And if all the garbage that you listen to on a day-to-day basis in the government guild at ABC, the corporate-owned media, social media, or a-social media as I call it, and many of you call it, is security of tenure, rent, 
based at a percentage of income. If these so-called privatised community social affordable housing cannot meet those criteria, they have nothing to do with the public housing struggle. So the fact is that Mr Bradbury won a gold medal because he knew, although he had been ice skating for over 20 years, he knew he didn't have the speed on that particular day to win a medal. But he knew that if he held back behind the pack and it was an accident, he'd be able to sail right past them. That was his strategy. That is our strategy as far as the public housing struggle is concerned. We will see these bowling pins fall over because they are not fit for purpose. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is a podcast. Look, I make it my business, I know you may find this a bit tedious, but I make it my business to actually get involved in as many things as possible. You know, life ends with death is my opinion. If you can prove me wrong, I'm happy to uh, to be proven wrong. It'd be nice to have eternal salvation, wouldn't it? But I just think that's a hallucination that a lot of people have. Too much prayer gives you those hallucinations. But, so I attended some... An Armistice Day, well, two Armistice Day ceremonies in regional Victoria on the 11th of November. And then I listened to our beloved Prime Minister and a few other people who, uh, you know, acknowledged Armistice Day. So what is Armistice Day? Armistice Day occurs on the 11th of November. And it's the date in 1918 when the war to end all wars ended. I didn't make that up. It's not a joke, but that's what people believe, that if they, that World War I would be the war to end all wars. Obviously, it was the beginning of World War II, but that's a different story. Now, I'm, look, I'm a little bit disgusted by Armistice Day ceremonies in this country. Armistice Day is not just about remembering the Australian armed personnel who died during that conflict and 62,000 Australians, all volunteers, died during World War I in a war fought by soldiers that are either in the bayonet for the glory of God, King and Country. Armistice Day is a day to to remember, not celebrate, but to remember all people who died in war. Not just the armed personnel, but the millions of civilians caught in the crossfire who have died in war. A true Armistice Day ceremony is not just about remembering the Australian troops who died in World War I, who were sacrificed on the European killing fields, said before the glory of God, King and Country. It's about remembering all those civilians who've died in war. Those that we see in Gaza as I speak, those that we see in the Ukraine, those that we've seen in genocidal wars around the world, what we see in West Papua, and the list goes on and on. This is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. It's about remembering the war dead. 
not just those that, you know, uh, somehow have something to do with us. So, next day, if you're involved in organising Armistice Day ceremony, just remember that. Not that I think most of you will. And the other thing about the 11th of November, it's quite an interesting day for in Australian history because on the 11th of November, 1854, we saw the creation of the Ballarat Reform League, which was the organisation behind the Eureka Rebellion, which I'll mention later on in the program. 11th of November, 1880, it was the day Ned Kelly was hung in the old Melbourne jail. 11th of November, 1980 was the sorry 1918 was the day that marked the end of world war one and the 11th of november 1975 was the day that the whitlam labor government was dismissed by the governor general for their um how shall i say their anti-us stance and all the reforms they'd passed in such a short period of time but that's another story. So it is an important day. So what have Gaza and West Papua have to do? What have they got in common? What has Australia's role been in the Gaza and West Papuan struggle? As we know, people are becoming a little bit familiar with the Gazan struggle. We seem to have forgotten over the last 50 years or 70 years the uh, situation that the Palestinians have found themselves in, in the occupied territories. They are occupied territories under United Nations uh, definition, territories which were uh, acquired by the Israeli government. So what does Gaza and the West Papuan independence struggle have in common. What role does Australia play in both struggles? Well, the first thing is we avert our eyes. Successive Australian governments have averted their eyes to what is going on in West Papua over the last 60 years, where over half a million West Papuans have died directly and indirectly as a direct result of Indonesian colonisation of the area. And we're not talking about hundreds of millions of West Papuans. We're talking a population about 1.2 million. At the same time, we have seen successive invasions by the Israeli armed forces into Gaza in the last 50 years, five, I think, in the last 20 years, which have resulted in thousands of deaths on each occasion. The people of Gaza and the people of West Papua are both, both victims of colonialism. Let's not forget that. On the one hand, it's the Indonesian government. On the other hand, it's the Israeli government. So what's Australia's role? Well, Australia's role has been an enabling role. First, by refusing to criticise the policies which have been implemented by both Indonesia in West Papua and Israel in the Palestinian territories. 
Gaza didn't blow up on the 7th of October. It has been a boiling cauldron for over 50 years. West Papua didn't appear on the horizon just now. It's been on the horizon for over 60 years, that independence struggle. As far as the West Papuan struggle is concerned, Australia has been training Indonesian military personnel in Australia in counterinsurgency tactics. It has been providing armaments to the Indonesian army and currently there are over 220,000 Indonesian troops deployed in West Papua. That is one Indonesian troop for every one adult West Papuan male. And most importantly of all, the Australian media and the Australian government have averted their eyes to what is going on in West Papua in order not to you know, embarrass the Indonesian government. We have the same situation in Gaza. Australia's government initially wholeheartedly supported the invasion of Gaza by the Israeli armed forces, their planes, their tanks, their bulldozers, their sophisticated weapons. The Australian government has been exporting armaments to the Israeli government. So in both situations where we see the indiscriminate slaughter of civilians, in both situations, the Australian government and the Australian media has played an instrumental role in creating a climate which allows these atrocities to occur. On the one hand, in West Papua, it's 70 kilometres from our coastline, as far as Gaza is concerned. It's on the other side of the world, over 10,000 kilometres away. So think about it. Neither the Indonesian government nor the Israeli government could do what they do without wholesale Western support. And that support includes, especially as far as West Papua is concerned, the Australian government's continuing role. Now, I'll repeat this again. A number of years ago, a West Papuan activist was killed in a, nothing suspicious, in a cycling accident in Darwin. A senator from the DLP, who was very interested in West Papua struggle, wanted to hold a condolence motion in the Senate for this activist. The word West Papua was in the condolence motion. Both the government of the day and the opposition refused to support the condolence motion unless the word West Papua was removed from the motion. That is the extent. Now, I'm just going to go a little bit on with the West Papua struggle. It's very important. As I said, it's 70 kilometres from our border. Now, I am sick and tired, sick and tired of listening 
to Australia's security apparatus, ASIS, ASIO, the Federal Police, crap on about Chinese spies. Now, I am certain there are Chinese spies in Australia, and I am certain there are Australian spies in China. That's the way it works with these sovereign nation states. But do you ever hear about the Indonesian spies in this country who have been harassing West Papuan activists for decades and how the Australian government turns a blind eye to the activities of uh, Indonesian spies in this country, spies which have been sent here through the Indonesian embassies and consulates to keep an eye on the West Papuan independence movement? Think about it. Think about it. Brings me to the next question. When is a war crime not a war crime? I mean, it's an interesting question, isn't it? What is a war crime? When is a war crime not a war crime? Now, obviously, what we've seen in Gaza over the last five weeks, I think, you know, could be described as a war crime. Clear, definite war crime. Planes carpet bombing northern Gaza, knocking out churches and mosques and residential areas, you know. No opposition. I mean, the Gazans don't have an air force. And the Arab world, as expected, all these autocrats whether it's in Jordan or Egypt or Saudi Arabia or Syria, have all sat on their fingers as the Gazan carnage continues. I mean, isn't there a thing called proportionality? But we'll talk about that in a minute. So when is a war crime not a war crime? When the Foreign Minister Penny Wong opened her mouth, it didn't take long for the Zionist lobby in this country and the federal government to shove a rag in her mouth. Because obviously, what we are seeing when they talk about mass burials of hospital patients, because there are so many dead, and as the UN Secretary-General said, I mean, the Gazan hospital currently is nothing more than a cemetery for sick and dying people. When is a war crime not a war crime? Is collective punishment a war crime? Is denying people fuel, water, food? Is that not a war crime? Is indiscriminately killing civilians, up to 4,000 children? Is that not a war crime? Where's the West? Where's the United States, France, Britain, all these bast England, all these bastions of freedom and democracy? Why haven't they pulled their dogs out of Gaza? Well, have they sat on their... No, no, they haven't sat on their hands. At least the Arabs have sat on... The Arab governments, the Arab autocrats have sat on their hands concerned about their own future. 
But we've done better than that. We've actually supported these war crimes publicly. We have armed these people. And most importantly of all, over the last 40 years, we have supported successive Israeli governments in their attempts to destroy any two-state solution by housing over 700,000 Israeli citizens in occupied Palestinian territory. Where were we? Didn't hear a word, didn't hear a peep, didn't hear any opposition. Did you? I mean, Gaza didn't happen on the 7th of October 2023. When we saw the explosion where Hamas militants went on a deadly rampage through southern Israel, this didn't happen in a vacuum. You can't blockade 2.3 million people for 16 years and treat them as if they are nothing more than cattle. You can't do that without consequences. And in many regards, Israel has only itself to blame. When they're on the brink of a two-state solution 20 years ago during the Camp David Accords, I think it was the Prime Minister, was assassinated by Jewish terrorists, Zionist terrorists. That's right, their own Prime Minister, assassinated, could have been the President. Today, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. And I think to a significant degree, I think the Israeli armed forces have been a little bit surprised by the resistance of the Hamas fighters as they trundle through Gaza in their tanks and bulldozers while bombing uh, through their uh, air force. But Netanyahu is the architect Successive Israeli governments are the architect, are the architects of this calamity, this disaster. Their policies led to the growth of Hamas. Policies which extinguished hope amongst occupied Palestinians. Their brutalization of the occupied territories has encouraged, fostered, promoted the growth of organisations like Hamas. And the tragedy is, from the ashes, from the ashes, unless there is a ceasefire, from the ashes will rise a more brutalised generation of Palestinians who will be bent on vengeance. This tsunami of hatred which is building up around the Middle East, 
may be too hard for the autocrats in Iran and Syria and Lebanon and Jordan and Egypt and the Emirates to contain because people are angry. They are very angry. Now, I've been interested in the difference in the way the Australian government representatives and the media have been looking at the Gazan calamity. And they are trying to get us, you know, ordinary folk, you and me, the idiots, that's right, I include me in that, not you, to think or believe that this is a religious war. This is a war between Jews and Muslims. It's a religious war. Well, the war in the occupied territories of Palestine is not a religious war. Let's not forget there are Palestinian Christians, Palestinian Muslims, Palestinians agnostics and Palestinians bloody atheists like me. And it's the same in Israel. It's the same in Israel. This is not a religious war. This is a war which has been, been conducted by a colonial mentality. This is about keeping the colonies in check. If you think, if you start painting this as a religious war, then what you will see is a loss of interest in what is happening in the Middle East, what is happening in Gaza, what is happening in the West Bank, what is happening in Israel. Because a religious wars, well, we in this country tend to shrug our shoulders and say, look at that, look at that. This is not a religious war. It's got nothing to do with religion. Nothing to do with religion. This is about occupation. It's about resistance. It's about a calamity. It's about slaughter. It's about civilians dying in their thousands. You know, it would be interesting to see the Israeli uh, media units, which are working overtime, tell us how many Hamas militants they've actually killed in their incursion into Gaza and how many civilians they've killed. Hmm? How many Palestinians do you need to kill to kill one Hamas member? A hundred? Two hundred? A thousand? Think about it. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, just to those of you who are interested, and there may be one or two in the West Papuan struggle, there will be a West Papuan, uh, West Papuan Open Day at the West Papuan office at 838 Collins Street in Docklands in Melbourne. On Sunday, the 26th of November, which is not far away, it's about 10 days, 11 days away, Sunday, the 26th of November, this will be the last uh, gathering for the year. And as the 
convener of the West Papuan Rent Collective, I would like to encourage you to come along, enjoy the food, greet old friends and you, listen to the keynote speaker, Dr. Jacob Rumbiak, who is the uh, f- who is the um, you know the foreign minister, foreign minister for West Papua, a refugee here in in Australia, and fascinating as I link Gaza and uh, West Papua, they're linking on this occasion the Congo and West Papua because again these are victims of colonial in- expansion. There'll be lunch from one to two. Then there'll be a report from Dr. Jacob uh, Rumbiak regarding the uh, Melanesian conference which occurred where West Papua was denied membership. That's right. After a little bit of pressure from the Australian government, the Indonesian government, the United States government, the Melanesian folk folded and denied West Papua uh, presence in the Melanesian Spearhead group. So Dr Rumbiak will be speaking about that particular conference and uh, what the West Papuan's transitional government strategy will be to um, f- uh, face or to meet the rejection of the Spearhead groups. That's the Melanesian Spearhead group. They basically felt their Melanesian brothers and sisters weren't worth the effort. I mean, there were a lot of pressure, as we've seen in the Middle East, a lot of pressure from the Irish states. That's right. It's always China, isn't it? I keep forgetting. Oh, I forgot the Russians too. But, uh, and, and there's a book launch. And, and a cabaret burlesque, the Congo and West Papua. I'm looking forward to that. That'll be at, uh, you know, between 2 and 3 p.m. And then I'll be doing the famous, infamous... West Papua and Rent Collective auction. That's right. Every cent which is raised goes to paying the rent. Now, the whole purpose about the West Papua and Rent Collective being formed over nine years ago was to get a, a group of interested Australians, that's right, a group of interested Australians, you and me, to um, provide premises via which the West Papua community can conduct their independent struggle three of the pressures of paying the rent. And I have been humbled by the support that we've received over the last nine years. Not by political parties, not by church, well, some church groups, but not by most of them. Not by the rich and powerful, not by the media, but by ordinary Australians. And when I talk about ordinary Australians people on basic wages, people on disability support pensions, people on pensions who've been donating a dollar a day towards the West Papuan Rent Collective. Collective. So, I'm not going to ask you to join. It'd be lovely if you could join. But I am asking you to come along on Sunday the 26th of November, 1pm, eat and greet. Listen to Jacob Rumbiak, then a cabaret burlesque, then the auction, and we have a very special thing, the West Papuan Community Choir. If there's one thing I've learned about West Papuans over the last nine to ten years is their fondness for music. 
and there'll be a special performance by the West Papua Choir. And guess what? It doesn't cost you a cent unless you buy something at the auction or make a contribution to the lunch. It doesn't cost you a cent. And you're all welcome. Indonesian spies all night. We don't check papers. Pop along. Have a talk to them. See what they're on about. Forget about this media stuff. I mean, you can register. You don't have to, but you can register if you go to www.trybooking.com forward slash C-M-S-T-E. www.trybooking, T-R-Y-I-N-G, booking, B-O-O-K-I-N-G, dot com forward slash capitals, capital C, capital M, capital S, capital T, capital E. But you don't have to join. You don't have to register. It's good if you register. They've got an idea of how much to cater for, but just turn up 838 Collins Street. When you get to 838, the doors will be closed. It is a Sunday. Walk round the back. Walk round the back. Walk the 20 metres, 30 metres round to the back, and that's where all the action is. That's where the barbecue is taking place. That's where lunch has been served. That's where the guest speakers will be are. That's where the auction will occur. So hopefully you can come along. You can buy some uh, end of year or even Chrissy presents for the folk in your life. And uh, every cent which is raised at the auction, every single cent goes to pay the rent. And our job as the West Papuan Rent Collective is to ensure that the rent is paid. We do not tell the West Papuans how to conduct their struggles. This is one of the few situations in life where the piper, uh, he who pays the piper calls the tune. We don't call the tune. They're just a group of human beings, refugees, doing the best they can to raise the question of West Papua independence and continue that struggle while their brothers and sisters in West Papua have... uh, have over the last 60 years and continue to be exploited to the fullest because of the natural resources which continue to abound in West Papua. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, just in case you can't come and you would like to join the West Papua Rent Collective, give me a call on 0439 395 489. 0439 I'll fill you in. It's a dollar a day. And we don't keep uh, records, so you can do it anonymously. And I reckon you should come along just for the West Papuan Choir. I have heard them, and they are just extraordinary. And while we're talking about that, I'd just like to remind people, Eureka Day is on the 3rd of December. And the West Papuan uh, community, unlike the Australian community, that's a tragedy, isn't it, are uh, participants in the Eureka Day celebrations which are organised by the Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion Group and the Ballarat and Western Region Trades Hall. And if you want further information, you can find it on my Facebook page or you can go to a number of websites. It's all there. I'll talk more about that as we get close to the 3rd of December, which is only about two and a half weeks away. So uh, that's another activity to keep in your 
book, whether it's your brain or your social media network or whatever. Again, no cost, no registration, just turn up. 4am at Eureka Park at the corner of Eureka and Stool Street in Ballarat. You won't be able to miss it, but I'll speak more about that in a future programs. Now, I've always had a thing for Madame Anna Bly. I've always thought to myself, why would a former Premier... Now, you think as a former Premier, you'd have enough bickies in your tin to enjoy the rest of your life. Why would a former Premier act as the front person for the Australian Banking Association. Obviously, it just can't be for the money. I mean, you know, money's only good for what you can do with it. But I love seeing her on television or radio or listening to her on radio or social media. How she tells us how wonderful the Australian bankers, banks, the big four are. What wonderful human beings beings they are what wonderful 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 they are how they're so concerned so concerned about them customers who've got business loans especially small businesses which are going down the and all those people those extraordinary mortgages which have ballooned in far in terms of repayments in the last year or so, and there she is, she smiles at us and says, yes, they have made record profits, yes, everybody else is doing it tough, but guess what, now guess what they've made their record profits for, boys and girls, now obviously you and me, we're pretty stupid, and we don't know, I mean, I used to think that the banks would make billion dollar profits, seven billion, the majority of them, you know, for their major shareholders. Isn't that what it's about? Aren't they publicly listed on the share market and people buy and sell their shares? And at the end of the day, if you make a profit, you get a dividend and the share goes up in price and you make more money. Isn't that the idea of having a private corporation? You maximise profits irrespective of the human, social and environmental costs. Well, guess what, boys and girls? I was wrong. I was totally wrong. I'm a total nincompoot. Haven't used that word for a long time. A total idiot. I was wrong. The banks make these extraordinary profits. Not one of them has actually not increased their interest rates to the same level that the Reserve Bank has increased interest rates. Not one of them. Okay, that's why they're still making extraordinary profits. But they're making extraordinary profits to help those poor Australian mortgagees who are struggling to pay their mortgage. Hmm? Isn't that wonderful? I've got tears running down my face. Here's Anna. (sighs) Here's Anna telling me. How wonderful the very people who are slammed by the Royal Commission for their criminal acts four or five years ago, who have now been so rehabilitated 
have done everything they can do to maximise their profits by closing regional branches. I walked into an ANZ branch, you know, you know, in Mooney Ponds. Guess what? It was fully automated. I wanted to spe- no, no, you want to do a cash withdrawal? you got to go to the teller. We can't do it. You want to do a deposit? You've got to go to the teller. Now, I know this particular branch used to be fr- frequented by many, many, many elderly pensions who used to walk in with their little passbooks. And I know towns with five, six, seven thousand people that now don't have one bank because those nice people that Anna works for will do anything to maximise their profits. They'll reduce their staff. They'll reduce the services available. They'll force you, you know, to computerise and then they'll turn their back on you when your money is stolen out of your account because they haven't got the necessary protection in place. But I'm so pleased, Anna. You have restored my faith in corporate capitalism. You have restored my faith in the banking sector. I know that all those Australians who've got mortgages, about 30% of us, if we get into trouble, all we've got to do is talk to the bank, well, the computers at the bank, and they will help us. That's right. They've got all those profits there to help you and me. Not pay their shareholders, but help you and me. I am just so touched, so touched, Anna. I could kiss you. You've restored my faith in humanity. You've restored my faith in corporate banking. Hang on. This doesn't make sense, does it? I've got a bit too excited there. Maybe the sight of Anna got me excited. It's about... Well, look, it's like this, boys and girls. The banks can't afford bad publicity. When they were foreclosing all those small farms five to ten years ago, there was a little bit of bad publicity. When the Royal Commissioner put the boot... Into the, into the banking sector, there was a bit of bad publicity. But there is nothing worse than seeing a bank evict people from their homes. And that's what they're terrified about. They don't give a shit about helping you. But what they're terrified about is that if you cannot pay your mortgage... They're going to have to turf you out of your home. And if you refuse to be removed from your home, they're going to have to send out the coppers to pull you out of your house. And there is nothing worse than seeing pictures of people evicted from their homes. Like there's nothing worse than seeing Gazans carpet bombarded out of their homes. Nothing worse. It's bad publicity. It's not good. So if somehow you can actually slowly get them to see the light and force them to sell their homes, 
so they get their money back, there won't be any fuss, will there? So, Anna, can I give you some advice? Look, you're an intelligent human being. Why are you wasting your life and your credibility and your morality working for this mob? Come on, get, get an av- avatar to work for them. Well, you've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, just in case you're interested in anarchist, well, radical history, 19th century radical history, tonight, if you're listening to this program in Melbourne town, I'm hosting a, or I'm presenting a presentation of 19th century, influential 19th century Australian anarchists and the uh, influence they had on the creation of uh, a radical uh, egalitarian element to the emerging workers' movement. So it should be an interesting night. It'll be held at the Footscray Hotel. That's 48 Hopkins Street, Footscray, 6.30pm for a 7pm start. Should be finished by, by, should be finished by about 9pm. Bring food, not drinks. You can buy drinks, but you can't buy food at the Footscray Hotel. So bring food to share. Bring food to share. Don't forget the West Papuan Open Day, which is on Sunday the 26th of November at 838 Collins Street, Docklands. Starts at 1pm with Eat and Greet. Then the keynote speaker, Dr Jacob Rumbiak, will be speaking about the the strategy of the West Papuan transitional government in terms of uh, the rejection by the Melanesian Spearhead Group to incorporate West Papua into the Melanesian Spearhead Group. I'll be doing an auction. There'll be a, a cabaret burlesque performance about the Congo and West Papua. So, and those of you who, uh, and don't forget those uh, mass demonstrations uh, regarding for a ceasefire in uh, Gaza. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Just in case... Those nice banking folk were knocking at your door. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. I do answer letters. You can write to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. YouTube channels, public interest before corporate interest. You can actually join online. Go to info at pipcpibci.net. And if you're interested in the presentation, another YouTube channel, josephtoscano.nwarm. And if you have messages, 0439395489. And yes, we have three small, extra small anarchist um, anarchist will this week T-shirts left. Great collector's item, three out of 100. Take them off our hands. Give us a ring. Thank you. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station next week. We're waiting for the cows. The sacred cows are moving out of the studio. Uh, The little producer is about to press the button. What a wonderful morning we've all had. Here we go. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning 
wash my hands. Oh, Lord, yeah. CCR is Radical Radio, and that means more than just alternative current affairs and political coverage. We're Radical because we're an independent media outlet, owned and operated by the community. We're Radical because we give communities the control of their own shows, with their own music, in their own languages. We're Radical because we provide a media platform for communities to build their own power to create social change. Become a subscriber and support Radical Radio. Call us on 03 9419 8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. We know you love listening to 3CR, but we also know that many of you haven't downloaded the Community Radio Plus app yet. The app lets you tune in anywhere and share the station with your friends. So, show the love and share the love and search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your apps. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.